Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their work, the lessons they've learned, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is New York Times bestselling and two-time Caldecott Honor award-winning illustrator, Brian Pinckney. Brian's father, Jerry Pinckney, said, Making pictures is similar to making music. There are so many instruments and so many tunes that the possibilities for how you play are truly limitless. Among the topics, Brian shares what it was like growing up and creating art with his father. We discuss why it is imperative for illustrators to update their websites, and Brian explains why illustrators don't have to be just one thing or make pictures in just one way. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So you came from an artistic family, to say the absolute least. But as I understand it, your parents didn't pressure you to become an artist. That is true. My parents didn't pressure me to be an artist. I think if anything, they saw making art as so normal right. that as a family, we just did it all the time. You know, right. um, it was like play. My dad was always playing in a studio that was in the house. So I played by making art as well as making toys and, and other things growing yeah. up. Um, did your dad use you and your siblings as models? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Um, except for my younger brother who wouldn't follow instructions. So he only models for one book. I modeled for about 20. <laughs> did you enjoy doing that? You know, I did. And I yeah. think I did because it was, I mean, we were playing dress up all the time. I sure. was always dressing us up as characters. And I saw his process, you know, like I really just saw how he used us for the characters in the book. Yep. And so that was pretty cool, you know, yeah. seeing the action of, you know, modeling him take the photographs and drawing from the photographs and then the artwork coming out. Was there a moment in which you said to your father, Jerry, I want to be a commercial artist. And I said more like dad. <laughs> he's like, what do I do next? He's like, who's Jerry? <laughs> well, I was Jerry, by the way, my name was Jerry Pinkney for the longest time until I published my first book. And people were getting me confused with my dad. So my mother was like, I think you have to drop Jerry and just go with Brian, which is my middle name. I didn't know that. I know. A lot of people don't. But if you look at my first books, it was J. Brian Pinkney. Are you just Jerry or or something? Is it? Are you Jerry well, Jr.? It, it, um, no. And it's interesting that my father's, you know, book, his autobiography is called Just Jerry. Yeah. Because he actually didn't have a middle name. No. Because his mother said, Just Jerry is enough. He's going to make some of something of himself one day. In my case, I was Jerry Brian Pinckney. <laughs> so I would have to make something of myself using the name Brian. Right, right. Does that officially make you a junior or not? Since you don't... No, 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 no. It would have to be um, the exact same name. Like if I was Jerry Pinckney, it would be Jerry Pinckney Jr. I'm a junior. My dad's name is Giuseppe. Oh. Like art wasn't really... Um, it wasn't discouraged, but it wasn't really encouraged. It was just, oh, you're, you can mm -hmm. draw? Yeah, okay, go ahead and draw. Here's some mm -hmm. supplies, and especially my mother. My mother was really supportive about that, you know, signing yeah, me up for I think art my classes dad and had, stuff. Yeah, and again, I think if my dad had told me to draw or tried to make me draw, I would do like all kids do. I'd run the other way. Right. Do you think that you would have gone another way, totally another way? No, no, I, I behaved. 
I was I was the child that always did what they wanted me to do. That's why I got the model for all the books. So yeah, I right. probably would have. Yeah. Right. I suspect I, I know you're familiar with the story, but some listeners may not be. When your father was small, his father, your grandfather, what was your grandfather's name? Uh, his name was James. James. So James allowed Jerry to draw on his bedroom wall. And when there was no room left, your grandfather, James, painted the wall white. And your dad at first thought, oh, crap, I'm in trouble. But in fact, your grandfather, being kind of awesome, was giving your father a fresh canvas. Yes, yes. One of my regrets as a parent, I mean, my kids are now teenagers. One of my regrets was... I didn't appreciate the wall drawings as much as I should have. My kids did the same thing. All kids do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And at first mm-hmm. I was not upset, just sort of like, oh man, don't do that. We have paper for that. And then right, quickly right. wiping it off. I should have mm-hmm. thought for a minute, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is there. And I can photograph it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. I regret not yeah, doing I... that. So I don't think we were allowed to draw on the walls. <laughs> lucky for me, my dad said I had free reign at night to go into his drawer, flat files with nice. all his like expensive watercolor paper and take any sheet of paper that was too small okay. for him to actually use for like a book. So I got like real art supplies to play with. So who needed a wall? Yep. Yeah. I, I yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I, it just was like, Oh God, that's an, you know, cause we're exhausted. We're parents of three young kids and we're just, Mm. kind of going mm-hmm. just trying to keep things in order as best we can and wiping yeah, those drawings yeah. off the wall and that's just that was a bad move so young parents out there listening if your kids are drawing on the walls at the very least take pictures and even better encourage that because it's just a wall it it can yeah. it can come off it's going to be okay take take a picture and paint it over and they get a new canvas and you have documentation <laughs> after earning a bachelor of fine arts in 1983 from what was then called the Philadelphia College of Art, now it's University of the Arts. What right. were your first months or years like as an illustrator? I got a book project right away, my senior year in college, which was pretty cool. Right. Um, it was called The Storytelling. It was like a local author who went to the University of Arts, Philadelphia College of Art, looking for an artist to illustrate it. He selected me. Um, it was self-published, but I really got to lay out a book. Uh, all the ways that I'd learned that my father did, you know, tracing paper and sketches and um, going to finishes. The book is like, eh, but that's okay. (laughs) It was my first book. Uh, Then I moved back and I started, I think, working, doing posters for like the Walnut Street Theater in Philadelphia. Yeah. Which was nice. I guess the university set that up where they had people come in who were looking for illustrators. So I got to illustrate right away. Then I moved back home where I had a studio in my bedroom, which was like above my father's studio in New York, okay. where my parents live now. That was a combination of playing the drums all day long and working on my artwork in the evening and, you know, getting a job at the Penny Saver just to earn money yeah. um, and then quitting once I got like a little freelance jobs and then getting a job at an art supply store and then quitting when I'd get like a freelance job. And, and eventually, I think after a year, I moved to New York City yeah. where I got a job as an art assistant at Field and Stream magazine, interestingly enough. Um, yeah. And that was great because it meant I was making enough money to get an apartment in New York City and then work on my freelance stuff at night. So I always encourage young artists, yeah, just make money however you can and then 
quit the job when you get a freelance project <laughs> because you can always get another job at an art supply store or somewhere. You know? Right, right. And yeah, those were my, my early days. And then I remember quitting that job after about a year and a half and working as an art teacher in Harlem in an after school program, uh, wow. teaching kids art and doing starting like trying to get publishing work, editorial work on my own and, you know, balancing out the freelance work with the teaching until I, I think I started getting my first picture book, uh, The Boy and the Ghost and and went back to get my master's. That's what it was at SVA. And that kind of really turned things around for me. And then I became just a freelance illustrator. So, I mean, between earning your undergraduate degree and getting your master's, your master's was in 1990. So that's seven right. years of basically doing what you just explained. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did your father early on review your portfolio? Yes, he did. And, and it's interesting. Like, you know, early on, my dad, just everything was just keep going. You're amazing. Right. Keep going. He would suggest I take my artwork to other illustrators, friends of his, like Alan Cover. I remember looking oh at my, my portfolio and really, yeah. And like said, you know, you have three different styles here, you know, which way do you want to work? Da, 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 da. Or, you know, that's fine, but just <laughs> be aware of that. You know, when you're uh, taking your portfolio around. People just casually, like, it's Alan Cover for God's sake. Okay. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Go over, right? <laughs> and um, I'm trying to think of who else. I mean, him primarily because yeah. he lived not far from us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. And that was great because it was easier hearing it from him than my dad being that, you know, he was my dad. Yeah. I mean, did your dad have a – I mean, I'm sure your dad wasn't just like completely, you know, this is amazing. Everything you do is amazing. I'm sure he was fair and was like, yeah, you're amazing. You're my son. You're talented. And I love you. Also, you need to work on your compositions. Nope. <laughs> really? He was just very encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Which was phenomenal. It wasn't, he would, well, what he would say to me was, what do you need from me? Yeah. And I Great would question. Say, just keep telling me everything is amazing. You know, so I just keep going. I mean, I knew myself, like I, I needed encouragement. I had a lot of fire, a lot of ambition. I think later on, once I started getting projects, the critiques became more specific, but in a very gentle way, you would say like, well, you know, if you really want that nose to be more three-dimensional, add a little shadow underneath it. Right. Because there's always a little light on the top of the nose. You know, right. there'd be more, you know, specific things like that. And, and that was that was extremely helpful. Although normally he would say, I would come back three months later and be like, you know, dad, I just figured out something. If you put a little shadow underneath the nose, it really becomes three dimensional. And he would say, you know, I told you that three months ago. <laughs> Typical father son dynamic there. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's a ton of stuff I'm learning now as a 46 year old dad of three teenagers that I'm sure my dad told me about when I was in my twenties and teens and thirties. And it's, it's, you know, you have to, you just have to learn it for yourself to lock yeah, it in. Yeah. You hear it, but right. it's not locked in. Or I see, but times are different now. <laughs> yeah, Kids well, different than they oh my were, god, you know, <laughs> Brian, and they would just roll their eyes. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, I keep telling my parents any chance I get, you have no idea how how easy it was for you guys raising us yeah. in the eighties. It's yeah. so much more difficult now, but whatever, it's different. Um, I had a yeah, I had a little bit of a different experience. With I mean, my dad wasn't a professional artist. He wanted to be an artist early on, but it you know went another way for him because mm -hmm. he was pressured to not be an artist. By his father but the point is as i was kind of discovering i don't know myself as an artist and figuring out in high school like oh i think i think this is what i do i think this is what i'm gonna do i remember doing a portrait of my sister 
And at the time, I thought it was a pretty great portrait. And there's still parts of it that I really love. And I, there's some brushstrokes in there that I wouldn't even consider putting on canvas today. And I don't even know how I did it. I look at it going like, that's great. I want to paint like that now. And I don't, how did I do that? And the the answer is completely being naive about the whole process. Just Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, put this brush in pigment and put it on the canvas. I don't know what what I'm doing. And that's where that came from. So anyway, the portrait I thought was good. It's not, but whatever. And Mm -hmm. so I showed it to my dad and his first question was, who's that? Two words floored me and you know i got back up and i'm like all right i guess i gotta keep painting i gotta keep working on this because that's the whole deal for me anyway was i want to impress my father i mean that is not a novel Mm -hmm. approach from a son to a father is you know wanting to oppress them and that's very much what i wanted to do when i was that age Did, did any of that work its way into your relationship with your father? Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, if I wanted to visit my dad, because he was in a studio, whatever, 16, 18 hours a day, draw a picture. <laughs> and then my mom would be like, that's amazing. Go show it to your dad. Yep. You know, and yep. so we bonded over artwork. And then I get to watch what he was doing. And, you know, as we got older, it would be more like, what are you working on? What are you working on? We would right. share things. And I remember him once drawing a horse from like a bird's eye view. And he was having a problem with the legs. And I looked at it and I said, can I show you something? And I put a piece of tracing paper over it and just like sketched really quickly, you know, where the other leg was supposed to go. Yeah. And he was like, wow, that was really helpful. You know? <laughs> but I got that from him because he would do that with me. He'd put a sheet of tracing paper over what I had drawn and show me how to put the little shadow under the nose or whatever nice. it was. The apprentice becomes the master. We were like co searchers in the art world and, yeah uh, you know sure sharing each other's art books and yeah so the record for the most caldecott wins including medals and honors together is nine right and that's held by marcia brown marie okay. sendak is second with eight marie hall okay. etz has six podcast guest david wiesner has six and mm-hmm. your father has six yes you have some catching up to do. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm, total, I'm sorry. I'm kidding. No, it's it's um. It was funny when you said that. I was like, eh. <laughs> Should I care about that stuff? <laughs> I really don't care about it. I mean, there was a time when I really cared about. I was going to ask you that, but I deleted that question. Yep. It's like, when am I going to win the next one? And now it's like, I'm enjoying my life. I'm making artwork. Yep. I love what I'm doing. Yep. And um. I don't focus on that. And I'm not just saying that it's, it's actually true. No, I believe you. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I know for a lot of people, that's very important. For sure. I think I saw, you know, so it was very important for my dad, you know, and so, so proud of him when he won the, um, the actual Caldecott because he had won like the five honors. Yeah. Um, right. It's like that desire to have that kind of recognition is, you know, goes really deep, I think. For me, I think I had gotten so much recognition from my dad that I don't feel like I needed it from the, that. Wait, people out there on the Caldecott community don't. I didn't say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I would like it <laughs> or another one. <laughs> Brian, you seem to be under under the delusion that uh, people who um, choose the Caldecott listen to this podcast, and I, I'm I'm here to tell you that's probably unlikely. Well, you know, on a rare, rare chance that yeah, that's true. Tune in or, Someone tell them what I said, you know. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, I mean, with your, I mean, when did you learn 
that your father lived with dyslexia? You know, years after he had learned. So it may have been only about 20 years ago. Right. Like he really didn't know. He knew he was always making accommodations for himself. Like if he was on a, like a stamp advisory committee, he would say, make they would have to have everything printed out ahead of time. Yeah. That he couldn't read it on email. And that he knew he had to reread things over and over again. What's fascinating about it is I didn't realize I was dyslexic until we found out both our children were dyslexic and we're in the evaluation. And I'm saying, you know, Dr. Amy, thank you so much for this. And my wife gives me this really dirty look. She says, that's not her name. And she looks at me and says, you know, that's a form of dyslexia also. You know, remember people's names. So I was like, oh, mm. okay. You know, wow. and then like the, the kids are getting evaluated. And I'm looking at their answers on the test. It's like, I spell elephant five different ways also, yeah. like my daughter. So it's like, oh. But what I didn't have that my dad had was how it affected his self-esteem when he was growing up. Right. You know, and I think it will maybe because my parents were so, they knew that I thought differently than other people and learned differently that, um, you know, it didn't affect me. It was, it was more when my wife pointed it out that I was like, oh, I do do that. And um, so it's fascinating, you know, that, you know, we, you know, we weren't diagnosed when, when I was, you know, I'm 61 now. So when I was a kid, I wasn't diagnosed with dyslexia. I remember they put me in the special room with the little projector so I would learn how to read faster, you know, that I read slower than other people. Right. But I caught up eventually. Yeah. Well, yeah. to say the least, the point I'm trying to make here is I wonder if the Caldecott wins and really any other major honor that your father received not justified, but sort of solidified his journey from, I mean, he was selling drawings when he was 11 or 12 or something, yeah. you know, yeah. he was, he was using art as a way of mm-hmm. combating the bullying and combating the feeling of yep. his, his like, you know, outsider, mm-hmm. this outsider feeling that he, he, that he had. Yeah. I just wonder if yeah. that was it. I was so, so definitely part of the Caldecott wins. Yeah. We're such an affirmation. You yeah, know, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, definitely. As an interesting side note, three of the top five winners are women mm-hmm. for the Caldecott. I didn't know that until yesterday. I didn't know that either, yeah. actually. I kind of knew it. I kind of knew who the Caldecott winners were, but I didn't. And when I added it all up, I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. If you find value in this podcast, please consider supporting it as a patron. Your support will help me keep the podcast on its weekly schedule. Patrons receive perks, including a reusable 10% off discount code, access to dozens of patron-only episodes, opportunities to provide questions for guests, a soft enamel pin with our logo, designed by me, and more. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com illustration D-E-P-T. And now, back to our conversation. Speaking of Caldecott, you've earned multiple Caldecott honors in all seriousness. Congratulations. I'm not, I'm joking about the catching up thing. Um, the first one was in 96 with the faithful friend. And the second one was in 99 with Duke Ellington written by Andrea Davis Pinckney, um, Mm -hmm. who you may know. You've also Mm -hmm. earned multiple Coretta Scott King honors and many other accolades. Does being honored as much as you have, shift your approach to art making for better or worse? 
think what it maybe what it did for me is it gave me the permission to keep growing and changing. Huh. And okay. that was for is for better. Yeah. It, it it almost was like like I was working in Scratchboard at the time. And I just switched from another medium for many other reasons. But it was like, okay, keep doing what you're doing as mm-hmm. an artist. Mm-hmm. Not keep making the way you were making, but just keep, you know, pursuing. You know, I call it wandering and pondering and just, you know, trying to how do I express myself visually and the next way that feels natural for me and my growth. So I think it gave me permission to continue doing that. That's interesting. Cause you felt that you had a bit of a, you had some leeway, like you could try a few things. Right. And, and, and publishers weren't looking for me and offering me things, you know, so publishers were looking for things for me and offering me things and things that were very different sometimes. How many books have you and Andrea worked on together? That's a good question. Because we keep throwing numbers out there and we don't really count. I think we're up to 55-ish. Mm-hmm. The two of you continue a long, long celebrated tradition of husband and wife teams in children's books. Ingrid and Edgar Dulaire, mm-hmm. George and Doris Howman, Margaret and Hans mm-hmm. Ray, Alice and Martin Provinson, Joe and Beth Crush, Leo and Diane Dillon. Mm-hmm. How many total books have you created at this point on your own as an illustrator and writer? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't count them. That's why I was talking to James Ransom the other day at a conference and he knew how many he had. And he had them all on his website. I was like, I probably should count them. I remember being up around 65 at one point. So you, maybe around there. You don't, you don't um, update your website very often, do you? No, no, I don't. <laughs> And my Instagram, not at all. I think I, on two different occasions, I posted things. Um, mm-hmm. And people still seem to follow it, but That's I do need to thing. update that also. See, yeah. there's, there's two good points to be made there. One of them is, if you were someone that I was mentoring or teaching, I would absolutely say, what are you doing? You have to update your website. I think it says copyright protected 2012 or something. It, it's It's been a while. Yeah. But you don't. And of course, it's fine. And then I would also say to illustrators, you don't have to post every day. In fact, you shouldn't be posting every day on social media. That's just that's just crazy. I think that's it's a waste of time. And you're just all you're doing is just like you're watering down your post, the value of your post by posting all the time. So post like once a week or once every other week, the value of your post increase and you don't have to worry about it as much. That's something that I would recommend or once a month or something. But you don't mm-hmm. post very much. And it's because you're not books. Well, that's the thing. So <laughs> at what I'm, point I'm in an illustrator's art. career does any of the, that good advice not matter? I think it probably always matters now. I think it may be because of where I'm at in my career right? that I don't have the muscle to post. So I'm going to have to hire somebody to do it again, which is what I did before. And I have other priorities, it seems. And work slowing in. Now, it would be great to promote my books, I'm sure. And I probably will. And my wife posts very, very often. Yeah. So I'm like, why don't you post my new book since you already have followers? No. <laughs> I so, mean, that's not a bad question. I guess the point is like, to what end? I mean, if you're going to start posting, why? Why would you start posting? What does it matter? Because people like you ask me. And um, sometimes friends say, oh. Can I follow you on Instagram? And I go, yeah, I can, but it's not up to date. 
So, and I think publishers would, would like it also because it right. helps them with marketing the book. So that yeah. would be the reason why I, I would do it. Yeah. It wouldn't be so much even for marketing myself. It would be to help market my books. I know. But I just, I'm, I guess I'm thinking of that point in an illustrator's career where the, it's, uh, you're at that tipping point. You go over that tipping point where it's like, well, I don't have to do any of that stuff anymore. I've, I've, I, like you said, I've worked over the decades to reach a point where uh, publishers are coming to me, my books are doing well, I'm getting these awards. And so I'm at a place where I'm, I feel good. I feel comfortable with what I'm doing and, you know, the amount of money I'm making, how I'm supporting my family, et cetera, et cetera. So some of that can go by the wayside. Right. And my father started posting a lot because he was interested in sharing his process. That's another good reason. Yeah, which is a very good reason because there's things that I'm doing that people are like, why aren't you putting that on Instagram? People don't realize like this last book that I finished of my dad, the whole process, how I did it. Um, at one point, my brother has taken over my dad's Instagram account. He's like, I want you to take clips of how you did it, how you used it his drawings and put them on the light box and put watercolor paper on top of it and actually show, you know, how the process was done. Right. Are you talking um, about, are you talking about just Jerry or walk in the woods? Walk in the woods. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the book walk in the woods is a very, you know, interesting organic way of, of kind of figuring out how to, you know, finish that book. You know, I have many, many, many underpaintings and sketches. I could simulate it, which is my intention at some point, And I have for conferences. Right. But doing all of that is gonna it's gonna cut into your you know online dancing and online yoga and your exercises and your time with your family and your time with your work and all of that stuff. So when are you gonna do it? Yeah, I just have to like it becomes another little performance that I do in between <laughs> these things. It's like set up the camera, turn off the yoga glass, put on your little painting shirt, and do it. Yeah. You know. Which is what I what I do. I mean, I have done it for like school visits and right. um, yeah, some other online platforms that show the process, I, which will I be know. coming out when the book is published. Yeah. So yeah, I just have to weave it in. Yeah. I know each book has its own life, its own personality, its own needs, like our children. But is there a common denominator? with all of your books, maybe something beneath the surface of the page. Yes. They're all autobiographical, I would say. <laughs> and even when I pick up a book, I pick up a book and I go, well, this one isn't. It's like, oh, it's about a little boy who da 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 da. I say, yeah, that's, that's me. So like, what about this new one I'm working about, about the boy who's like, you know, likes to turn his blanket into different animals. And, you know, he has a little baby brother who was born, who he's a little jealous of. Oh, yeah, that's me also. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I, again, there, there are books that come my way that aren't, you know, like I did a book about, you know, it's called The Day of the Light about, you know, um, Ethiopian Jews, which I didn't have a relationship with. Right. Yet I found my way in more graphically with that book. You know, like, how do I want to render them? What, what's, the, what's the progression of my technique that I want to use to bring that book to life? So mm -hmm. that became more about, you know, the materials and the art. Speaking of the materials and the art, I read that you're not going digital. I haven't yet, anyway. I mean, Walk in the Woods needed a digital element, and I Googled digital art. I downloaded some Photoshop, 
and I watched a little eight-year-old try to show me how to do it on YouTube. And I thought, you know what? My niece knows how to do this. I'm going to call her up, Charnel uh, yeah. Pickney Barlow, who went to SBA like I did. And I thought, we'll just send her the scans and she'll be the third collaborator, you know, on A Walk in the Woods. And I had her do it. And I thought, no, I don't. I need, and maybe this is what you were talking about, you were talking about my yoga practice, my dance practice. I need to feel. I need to touch. It's not just visual when I'm making artwork. It's somatic. So I I need a paintbrush and paint. And I can say it's the way I learned how to draw, but I think it's also the way I see. It it has to come through my arm in a way. And I I think even on the iPad, about the big one and tried to sketch on that. And I was throwing my shoulder out, trying to make my wrist simulate what my arm does, you know, with a brush and watercolor and paper. And it, it, it just didn't work. So... Yep, I'm gonna stay with traditional. Yeah, well, you just you just you're you're torpedoing your career, Brian. I, I mean, I guess it was a nice run. It was a nice run, but you know, apparently, digital is <laughs> what everyone's doing these days. So, yeah. Oh well. Oh well. Yeah. Oh, sarcasm. Hashtag sarcasm. Something else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, again, and, and this is when I hired the assistant to do it. Yeah. So, well. Um, I, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, I'm sh- I don't know if you've heard this batted around conferences and stuff where this whole, this whole idea of like, you have to go digital. You got to go digital. Everyone's going digital. It's such bull crap. It's so, mm. it's so wrong. It's not true. Mm. And yet people keep saying it. It's just not true. Yeah. You're, you're a great, yeah. you're a great, you're a great example of that. And guess what else you're a great example of? You don't work in just like one specific way. Right. And it seems to work for you. It does work for me and, and different artists work differently. And, and I remember I had friends that I graduated with undergraduate and they had a style and they came out and they kept yep. doing that style. And yep. that's them. That That's them. I had three different, four different styles when I, I think I mentioned that earlier in, in the podcast, my portfolio had three or four different styles and people were saying, you got to decide which one you want to do. And I was yep. like, I don't know. I want to do this for that, this for that, and that for that. Exactly. And it ended up working out that it was, it's, it's working out. I mean, it was the run with Scratchboard, which was consistent for, for 10 years. And then it's like, no, I want to go back to watercolor and brush. Yeah. And it's okay to do that. I mean, yeah. your own father said, making pictures is similar to making music. There are so many instruments and so many tunes that the possibilities for how you play are truly limitless. I love that quote. It flies in the Pretty face cool. of this notion that illustrators have to be the one thing or work in the right. one way. It's mm-hmm. this 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 idea that making art is formulaic. It isn't. Not entirely. It's right. feeling, like you were saying, it's feeling more than anything. And it can be digital. Yep. I'm not saying like it, it, with digital art there is no feeling. But with digital, right. it's not just simply about the medium. It's about how you create the art. Yeah. Yeah. And and people brought up making art digitally. They that's how they sense. That's how they feel. Um, right. I was brought up making a paper. That's how I sense. That's how I feel. Exactly. And it, and it didn't, that part didn't shift. So again, that could be a different instrument that I could take up one day and I'll never say never, but right now it doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, your dad's comparing art making to music. I like to compare an illustrator's career to gardening. You know, you sort of plant Mm -hmm. seeds, you tend to it, you wait, you got to be patient. You got to, you know, make good choices with where you're placing these seeds and work toward making it grow and reaping the benefits from it. Do you think of visual art in non-visual art ways? Yes. How so? Um, I think of it as gardening also. 
Nice. And it's like, and I've, and I've had this with, you know, publishers are like, we want to see what you're working on. And I was like, I can't show it to you yet. Like, just, we want to make sure you're going in the right direction. Right. It's like, there's only one direction. <laughs> I can't dig it up and show you that the seed is about to, you know, pop open. But I can trust that the years of gardening, that the technique that I'm using is going to produce results. Yeah. You know, um, I think I was working on a book once and I, I said to, again, the, art, the editor, they wanted to see what I was working on. I was like, it's going to take about nine months. And they're like, well, we want to see what you work on. I was like, this is like the baby in the belly. You can't pull the baby out in <laughs> month number three. You, but I can show you a sonogram. So I took a video of all the art laying on the floor in my studio. Oh, I said, there it is. There it yep. is. This is an idea where it's at right now. Um, and, I'm, and I'm just one of those artists that I, I don't miss deadlines. And I can truly say that because I've been doing it for so long. It's just inherent in my nature. I say, I'm a Virgo. I don't know what it is, but I know how long it takes things to, to brew and right. to bake. And um, which isn't saying things about artists that that need to extend the deadline oftentimes or don't know how long it takes. That's just their process. But for my process, I can I can pretty much predict when something is going to ripen that I illustrate. If it's something that I write, I have no idea how long it's going to take. It can take me four years. It can take me eight years. It can take me 15 years. So I'm always you know, writing projects and sketching them while I'm working on finishes for other books. Right. Do you have your work critiqued now by either Andrea or, you know, friends of yours, or are you at a point in your career where you're, you're feeling, I mean, you said you're what turning 61 at that point, can we look forward to, I'm not 61, I'm 46, but can I look forward to like in my sixties, that's the decade where you go, you know what? I'm good. I don't need anybody's advice anymore. I I'm good with where I'm, where I'm going with my work. Hmm. I'm always showing things to Andrea, you know, and again, she's a publisher and, and has an amazing eye right. for looking at art and, and knowing what I'm doing. Um, I was always showing things to my father when he was around. So that's only been, you know, a couple of years that I haven't been doing that. And I have friends, you know, who are fine artists and musicians who I can show things to. Yep. So I'm constantly doing that. I'll, not so much because I think I need the critique as much as I want to share what it is I'm doing and knowing through that sharing, I'm going to learn. When I first learned of your dad, it was in my first months at Penguin. I was an art director and I walked into another art director's office and I saw a bunch of drawings and I, now I, I wish I could, I mean, I guess I could, I timed it. It was 2011. So if I timed it, I probably could guess which book it was that your dad was working on. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, I mean, I swear it looked, I think they were on trace. I think it was on tracing paper. It was a bunch of like red ink or red pencil. It was definitely red. Um, a brown. Brown. That's who he started working. Yeah. yeah with drawings. Like a very warm brown. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, these drawings that reminded me a lot, and I, I, this is going to sound hyperbolic, but it just, the first person that came to mind when I was looking at those drawings was Michelangelo. His sketches. Mm. If you looked at his sketches, those like really I quick. I thought you were going to say Da Vinci. <laughs> or Da Vinci, because he sure he worked also in like an ochre color, yeah. Um, pen, but yeah. just that, just that Renaissance, that classic mm -hmm. Renaissance, quick drawing technique of mm -hmm. getting the getting the forms down, getting the gestures yeah. down. Yeah. And I said, mm -hmm. "Who's whose work is this?" And the art director said, "That's yeah. Jerry Pinkney." Yeah. Well, I'll tell you a story similar to this. I have another book that I'm going to complete of his. It takes place in Africa. It's, he did the dummy like 
I don't know, it's like eight by eight or even smaller, seven by seven. Mm-hmm. And there are scenes with bird's eye view of like a hundred animals going across the prairie. <laughs> and, and. You're like, like thanks, dad. And, and, but he literally did this seven by seven. And oh I go, I don't even know how he could see that small. And he worked really quickly. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have to redo these drawings because, you know, they're going to need work. I blew them up like, I don't know, 400%. <laughs> so they're like now 26 by whatever, 20. So I can see. And it's like, they're magical. You know, the mm-hmm. information he got with just those quick strokes is enough. You know, it's expressive and it's stronger than anything I could do if I tried to redo it, you know, and it'll be the last book that has his original drawing, you know, as the line. And then I'll do the watercolor part, similar to a walk in the woods yeah. and a little different at the same time. Do we have a title yet? The Littlest Drop is the title of that book. Do you know when it's publishing? I know the arts do about a year. <laughs> Wait, the, art, the uh, so arts do in a year? year? In about a year, yeah. 2025, it'll come out? Yeah, 2025, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure I told them that, yeah. I just noticed the time. I would love to keep talking to you, but uh, I want to make, make sure I'm respectful of your time here. We have listeners who are illustrators, of course, and uh, mm-hmm. I ask a similar question at the end of every episode. I'm going to ask you the same question, but I, I want to turn it a little bit. I'm going to ask you, and then I'm going to ask you what you think your father would say. So first you, what would you like to share with the illustrators listening? What's one piece of advice or just one thing that you would love for them to know as they go on, on their artistic journeys? Uh, You know, I think it's something around what you, we were talking about this idea that there's a spark that we had when we were kids that we wanted to make artwork. Um, when you're talking about that portrait you made of your sister and that feeling that you got that it was amazing before, you know, critiques that really like find ways to connect with that initial spark to make art. Um, Because that's the thing I think that powers us on. Not so much all the criticisms and the critiques and the advice people give us, but that original spark that we had to make art as a child. Yeah. As we, every age we get to. What is it? What is that original spark? And how do we, how do we reconnect with that? And what do you think your father would say if I asked him the same question? He would say it as well, but I think he would focus on the drawing, making the marks, like reconnect with that joy of making marks on a paper, you know, and that, that feeling of, you know, accomplishment or satisfaction and continue drawing pencil, pen, digitally, whatever it is that brings you joy. To learn more about Brian, visit brianpinkney.net. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit illustrationdept.com for class offerings like mentorships and portfolio reviews, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our forum, our merchandise, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.